And you're very welcome to Wade In as we look back on the weekend just gone. Uh, the stewards making the headlines for all the wrong reasons, it seems. We'll talk about that, plus all your listener questions answered as well in the company of he's back and he's better than ever. It's Car Park Kev. Hey, Kev. Hello, Hugo. How are you? <laughs> good. I'm good. Big Q today, Kev, or a quiet one. How are you, how are you fixed there? All right. I'm um, just, just waiting anxiously for the first knock of the day, Hugh. Yeah. First knock of the day. Well, <laughs> come, on, come on, people. Get a move on. Kevin, time is money. Time is money. How are you, TC? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. You had a quiet week on t- Twitter, Tony. A lot of love from people after you put up that, uh, you know, the gambling responsible legislation to open your bank accounts. Everyone's saying, yeah, Tony, we agree with you. I've been I've been quite quiet the last two months, but I've had a mad few days on there. I'm gonna to have to retire again. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you roared to... back to life. Yeah, you did. I, you have to... we'll, we'll touch on it later, but I mean, like, it was hardly the most controversial thing I've ever said about affordability. Yeah, well, you've opened a can we'll of worms. Come on to it a bit later, no Dive into that can a little bit later on. Vanessa Royal, you're with us anyway. After 53 miles on a bike yesterday, where your 73 year old father put you to absolute shame. I hope you're feeling happy about yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling, yeah. you know, like I just need a little day of rest today. Basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Rest. Well, yeah, on a nice soft couch or something like that for 52 miles <laughs> on a saddle. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Right, listen, um, I did tell you last week about the competition we were launching uh, in association with Betfair. Last week on Wade In, we launched the Racing Staff Week Thank You competition. Uh, we had some very deserving entries overall, but there can only be one winner, as we mentioned, our winning entry comes from Lisa Cook, nominating Sarah Green, the stable manager at Windsor, Bath, Chepstow, Foslas, and Hereford Racecourses. So a uh, pretty full account there. Uh, the nomination read, I want to say a big thank you to Sarah Green, who is stable manager at all those courses. I know I'm not alone appreciating everything she does to accommodate and help the stable staff and their horses. She works incredibly long hours and is very selfless has also been known to help if someone is shorthanded on the day of racing itself. She also drives racesport transport, racehorse transport and helps out at Newbury Racecourse in the stables. The world would be a better place with more Sarahs in it. So well done to Lisa Cook Aww. and to Sarah Green, who will both be receiving £250 vouchers. A racing Belfort will be in touch. Lovely story. Lovely well story. Done, well done, team. Well done. Yeah. Good stuff. Deserving winners. Okay, guys. Uh, plenty to get through. Lots of list of questions as well this week, but we have to talk with the... Uh, I guess the main topic from the weekend, uh, Kevin, and it came, uh, first of all, but we'll deal with the Judman first of all, right? Um, I was delighted that uh, Vadini won because I backed him and uh, Dan Barber was sore as hell because Mishrif didn't get out in time to make use of his run and he did back him. So we're both talking out of pockets, but I still stand by the French horse was the best horse in the race and I won't hear a word of complaint from Dan Barber. What do you think, Kev? Uh, but you should look, it was nice to see the three-year-olds come to the fore. That was one of the big questions we hope to have answered. But look, I suppose you you have to frame your analysis of this race in the context of the, that it was a bit messy. It was run at a funny tempo. Um, the overall time wasn't great and it, they finished in a bit of a heap. So, uh, again, look, uh, I was saying with Vadini when we we're previewing the race, you'd love to see him do it again. He's clearly gone and done it again. Like, he is clearly a top-class horse, but... Um, if you ran this race again in three weeks' time, would you get the same result? I'm not so sure. Um, and I think Mishrif really was, was horrendously unlucky on the day, to be honest. Mm. Well, Tony, was it not wasn't was he unlucky or was it was was he given a bad ride? I mean, I still I still believe the French horse was the best in the race. And I understand, you know, he he came out late, he had to make up ground on the outside, and he was coming like a train at the line. But I don't know, I'm not convinced it would have been different if he had got a, a better run. No, I've had a look at the race back a few times since Saturday, a couple of the morning. I think he's, 
initially I thought it was a really bad wide, but if you go back and have a look at it again, I think he'd relatively blameless. He was he was hemmed in by you know native trailer than Vazzini, so he couldn't switch ride uh, switch wide there. So I mean, clearly, clearly Mishwif is, is was the best horse in the race. I mean, if if you that horse was run again, uh, that race was run again this Saturday, you know, I think most people would have Mishwif nearly favourite on the back of that. I mean, because he did go in there. Uh, on you know the the best horse in the race on, on his Judmont win last season, and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean I, I can't I can't understand anybody saying that Mishriff wasn't you know very unlucky and the best horse in the race. It just transpired against him. So yeah, uh, initially thought <laughs> was culpable, but on on viewing it a few times since, I'm I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, know. well Vanessa, I'm out my own here in this one then because the lads both think that Mishriff. Uh, would have won maybe had things been a little bit different and if they opposed again probably should and would go off favour where do you stand on this one? Uh, I think you're on your own Hugh think I'm on my own but well. wouldn't be the first yeah. time Vanessa wouldn't be the first time <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I yeah, just much of what the boys said really obviously Simeon kept it so simple with Vidani in hindsight really just sitting out the back and then pulling out wide and keeping out of all of that traffic and just getting there in the end. Um, and like Kevin said, I was really keen for him to back that one kind of outstanding performance up with another very good run. And that's exactly what he's done in fairness to it. Um, but he got much the best run. I mean, things didn't go right for Mishra from the off, from get, jumping out the stalls and the position he ended up in, from how he travelled, then what he found at the end of the race. I think I'm with the boys, yeah, overall. But, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It was such a funny betting market, I thought. You know, Bay Bridge, the one non-group one winner in the race coming into it, going off such a short price favourite in the end against those two decent three-year-olds getting the weight. As for Native Trail, like we kind of ignored him previewing the race in some ways. And afterwards, you know, he might be slightly the forgotten horse with the um, unfortunate run that Mishriff got. A lot of focus went on him. But I just think Native Trail is going to be, my prediction for him is he's going to be one of those horses that's incredibly admirable for the rest of this year. Whether they run him over a mile, a mile and a quarter or a mile and a half, I think he'll consistently run his race. But... He's going to he won't win, though, Vanessa. Yeah, he won't, he's he won't going to win. be a victim of being a superstar two-year-old and then others progressing past him as older horses. But he's just so admirable. He's always there boxing away in the finish. Um, I think he probably did get the trip, and I, I presume they'll stick, stay at around this sort of trip with him for now. Um, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite view again on that. I think he's actually quite useless. Like, I actually think, you know, he's completely forgettable. Imagine, I mean, imagine, like, imagine being the person to call Native Trail useless. He is imagine useless. He doesn't want to race all season. Person. He got beat. As what? He won, he won the Irish series. Oh, yeah, won, yeah. Sure. Like, a, a proper winner. race. He's a, proper he's race. a top-rated two-year-old, <laughs> a champion European two-year-old, and then he's got beaten, what, three quarters no. of a length against No, he promised. Horses. He's one of these horses that promised so much. He promised so much, and has... And he's absolutely, delivered so much. Absolutely, absolutely disappointed. How hugely, much did you have on him in the Guineas, you? <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah beaten, right, by, beaten, by, beaten by a stable mace, you know, couldn't get past him with, you know, the massive favour going into it. I just think he's, look, fine. Yeah, he wins one or two races this but he's absolutely a disappointment to me. 100% disappointment. <laughs> and he's actually not very good. He's not very good. I'm wrong. Am I? Tony? Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, right. What about the band then, Kev, that Sumion got for um, celebrating afterwards? And I think if anyone saw the post-race clip of his son at the sideline roaring his dad home, it was absolutely brilliant. 
Um, and then you saw the stable staff as well, the two girls, which you said one of them was the most French-looking thing ever with a cigarette in her mouth, the calmest face in the world as her, as her friend wrote on. But what about the 12-day ban that Tumian got for celebrating uh, in, in his position beside the rail? And uh, what do you make of the stewards' decision there? Um, sure, look, Sumian did the wrong thing. He, he, you know, he, in his elation, he, he had some inattentiveness and his horse, you know, followed the line of the track around, went back to the rail, interfered with two horses after the line. Could have been nasty. Thankfully, it wasn't. Mm. Um, definitely deserved a ban. Um, but it was one of those cases, you where, you know, when we talk about interference cases, one of the great unknowns is always the intent. You know, yeah. did the jockey really intend to do what he did there? You know, oftentimes we suspect they we suspect they did, but we, we can never prove that they did. This is one of those cases where you can say with absolute certainty, Sumian had no intention of doing what he did at all. It was yeah. just a complete and utterly accidental thing caught up in the moment, dropped his dropped his guard and and caused interference. You know, 12 days, it, it, it seemed, look... When you look at what's going on, and we'll talk about more of it later on in terms of what sort of bans have been dished out for various bits of interference of late, for him to get 12 days compared to one example, Paul Anigan, 10 days for wiping out three quarters of the field in the Windsor, <laughs> in the Windsor Castle Stakes at, uh, at Royal Lascott, you know, the very definition of a win at all cost ride in the biggest stage. For Sumian to get more for a complete accident after the race is finished, it's just, it's, you, you, it, it does beg you, the question. tell me, it does beg explain the it to me, it explain it to me how what, that, how that what, happens. What, what is the quality of the stuff that these lads are smoking on race days <laughs> to get to these decisions? Because whatever it is, I'm all for it. Like, obviously, you know, this is top quality, like hallucinogenic stuff we're talking about here, Tony Calvin. <laughs> it's just incredible. It's just, I, like, I'm honestly, I fear, like, there, uh, during the course of Saturday, you, I honestly thought my I was finally losing my mind <laughs> because there was a number of things. We'll, we'll talk about the Lancashire Oaks in a minute, I'm sure. Uh, and Tony messaged the outcome of that steward's inquiry into our WhatsApp group. And that was the first I'd seen of it. Number one, I thought he was taking the mick out of us. And then I read and read it. I thought, like, am I have I actually lost my mind? And then this sue me on thing happens and he gets 12 days. And I'm like, is the, am I actually dreaming? And right. this is just okay. one of those dreams where, where the world is set up to just wind me up. <laughs> yeah, I, I can absolutely incredible. understand why you why you would think that, and I think an awful lot of people feel like that as well. But 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 if I guess before we get stuck into the stewards, um, at TC, your thoughts on on Free Wind and and what she did to do what she did after everything that happened during the race, the latter stages of the race in particular, uh, was very impressive. No, yeah, I mean, obviously, when these things happen, you the, the performance actually gets lost to a certain degree. I just thought it was a, a a brilliant performance. To be perfectly honest with you, um, uh, I'm I'm back actually nibbling away uh, on the exchange for the arc on the back of that. I mean, right? Um, obviously, she's a she's a four year old um, filly. Um, she's going to get the weight allowance. She's clearly massively progressive. Um, you know, she beat she beat a, a horse in in second. That's a big improver. A Shada's 114 races horse back in third i thought the form had loads of substance to it um she's ground versatile obviously you don't know where they're going to go with her so 
you know, she's 38 at the time of recording on, on the on the exchange for the ARC and the doubts about the running plans is factored into that price. But I don't know what she'll be rated after that performance, but she'll be on the coattails of the likes of Desert Crown, I'd have thought. And like, if she goes for it, I, I, she's a massive, massive player after that. And like I said, she was really progressive last season. And, you know, that comeback run, that comeback win on Saturday is, you know, take away all the... Uh, shenanigans with the suspensions, etc. No, I think yeah. I think it's really, uh, really applaudable. It is, and she, you know, Vanessa, to be checked in the manner in which she was, and still find the determination to not only just get the speed to get up and win the race as well, but just the attitude that she showed. I mean, that's a proper horse. I'd take her over an eight trade any day, any day, any day. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's such a disappointment, isn't he? He, he is. Just, he is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love the beforehand. We spoke about it on Racing Only Better um, before the weekend, and you know the profile of her. There's only one reason they're bringing her back. That's to win the Group One. That's been well covered now. So, um, but it was it was Kevin who pointed out that you know on that sort of ground, despite her breeding, because again, Kevin mentioned that a live alive liked it soft. And, um, but, you know, despite all of that, coming back off a break and clearly having had a bit of a setback or an injury at some point since we last saw her, you wouldn't have been surprised for them to have given her a, an easier enough race. And you would have had an excuse with what happened with the interference for Rab to have just said, I won't go for everything here. I'll just let her cruise home. Like, she, that was carnage, wasn't it? But, yeah. But, you know, he, he didn't really have to get stuck into her because she still had the ability to win the way she did. Um, I don't know where she's going to end up next, but I just couldn't have been more impressed with her. I, I liked her last year. I was excited that they brought her back. And she's got to be a Group 1 winner in the waiting now. Um, it's kind of a bit of a cliche to say it, but she's just... Everything about her has got sort of Group 1 all over her for me. Obviously, she's got... Um, a Lily Langtree entry, another group two, but then that's only two weeks on to the Yorkshire Oaks, the group one. So I don't know if they do both. And I think the group one is the aim to get that on her pedigree page. So I, I, my, I think they might skip the Lily Langtree and go to York instead for the Yorkshire Oaks. Um, okay. Very, very exciting. Couldn't have been more positive about her. It's just a shame that everyone got so caught up. Well, rightly so in what happened with the interference. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the interference then, because it is the giant Dumbo-sized elephant in the room. And Kevin, I listened back to an interview. Rob Havlund gave an interview yesterday with Racing TV, uh, I think before a race. Um, he's talking to Nick Lightfoot, actually, and um, he, he let his feelings known on this. He can't understand how the stewards have come to the conclusions that they have. He is insistent, and I think everybody can see that there was a gap there, because he got through the gap initially before it was closed in front of him. Can you make any sense of, of what the stewards saw here and, and why they have arrived at the conclusion that they have? I really, really, really can't, to be honest with you, unless they have some access to some magical, wonderful camera angle that we haven't seen. You know, the head-on surely tells the story coupled with the side-on. Um, this was just, and now it, it, this is a very competitive heat, you. But this is the most flabbergasting stewarding decision I think I've ever seen. Like I, I just can't compute it. You know, and the conclusion they reached, like they're basically saying that jockeys can't shouldn't be going for gaps, basically for fear that they might close in front of them. 
You know, like there was there was clearly a substantial gap there for quite some time. Rab didn't die for it as soon as it appeared. He actually waited kind of he said himself, assuming that Crowley would close it on him. And he waited half a furlong and then it was still there. So he said as he was fully entitled to do, he went into the gap and and Crowley's, you know, glance left twice and he's closed the door. And like the the sheer level of misunderstanding of the rules amongst plenty commenting on this is just remarkable. Like there's this kind of macho attitude. Oh, you don't go up the inside. What do you expect? You know, you poke up someone's inner, you're going to, you're going to get your nose cut off. Familiarize yourself with the rules before you comment. You know, if, if a horse is is two lengths clear, you know, uh, of the pursuers, they can go wherever they want. But if, if, if the horse is closer to them than that, they're not, they cannot take their ground. You know, that's the rule. Like Rab was clearly in that gap. He was clearly much closer than two lengths away from the leader. And, and, and it's been utterly closed on him and it could have caused mayhem. Like yeah. it caused enough interference and carnage, but like that, that could have resulted in one or more horses coming down. You know, and, and all the, 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 the consequences that can come from something like that happening at high speed. I Like I thought it was one of the most open and shut cases of, you know, un, under the way they currently interpret the rules, careless. You know, if you if you read the rules, you can certainly make a case for dangerous. We know they don't use that rule. They've only used it once in the last 18 years. Um, but to punish Rab and to admonish him for having the... The, the 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 temerity to, to take a gap that was clearly there like i just found that incredible and honestly i look rab is going to appeal this i think by all accounts and hugh i think lionel hutz could rock up as rab's representative here and still get this turned over because like I works said, on contingency no money down yeah go on <laughs> remarkable <laughs> just yeah. remarkable yeah. Uh, and just hammers home just how utterly baffling and ridiculous that the stewarding of interference is in the UK um, and in Ireland. But of course, this example came in the UK. Tony, you're shaking your head there in exasperation. Uh, you obviously feel as frustrated as Kevin does. No, no as, as Kevin said, I mean, I got a text through to say, you're never going to guess what. Havlin's got five days and Crowley's got nothing. And obviously, I texted through to the group. And I, I, I like, like Kevin said, I thought someone was just taking the piss. Um, it's just absolutely unfathomable, wasn't it? And like I said, this, you know, this, this culture, you know, you're not going at my inner. I mean, like I said, I don't know. I like I said, unless there is another angle that we're not aware of, but I don't see how they possibly can be. No, there can't be. I mean, the, the competence is, has got to be called in massively into question there, isn't it? I mean, I know there's an appeal uh, now impending, uh, so it might be inappropriate for the BHA to comment, but. If you're the BHA um, on Saturday night or maybe Sunday morning, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd get on the front foot with this and actually try and give an explanation. I think the absence of the BHA coming out suggests that, you know, that they haven't got a leg to stand on with all this. I mean, it's like I said, something like this, you just want the regulator to actually lead the way here. Everyone, most people, I think, can see that was just a, a, a complete travesty and, if any bookmaker was betting on how that appeal was gonna, you know, gonna turn out, I mean, surely it'd be no of us, no of us having, and and Crowley. I don't not not sure if they, you know, got it in their power to actually give Crowley a no a ban on the back of that. No, no, it won't be able to. It'll just be Rab appealing his his penalty, and he'll get off one assumes, and that that'll be the end of that. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's, it's complete one-on-one stroke, no office job, surely. Uh, you know what I'm comparing? It's almost a comparison to boxing to me, Vanessa. Bring it back in here. You know, like sometimes, actually an awful lot of times, too many times in big boxing bouts, you get decisions and judges' cards that are absolutely ridiculous and do not stack up, right? And and the odd time, those judges are held to account. You know, they are they're publicly named and shamed and the, the boxing board of control will say, all right, okay, Vanessa Ryle, you were judged on this fight. You scored it incorrectly. Um, you know you should not be uh, officiating for the next three months, and we're standing you down from all big name fights from now on. Something similar should happen in this case. Whoever came to this decision, the names should be publicly out there, so we know where they are, and they should be stood down for a period of time if it is proven that, that this um, um, five day ban will be overturned. Something like that has to happen. That's the yeah, the, the, the names are published. Like we do know who the stewards were. This comes back to um, the need for centralised stewarding, essentially. I mean, we're just so living in the past. We've got this old boy nature of the sh- in the stewards room that there's a load of ex-army officers, ex-jockeys, ex-trainers, basically a load of retired old men who'd want something to do with their time. And then they go into stewarding. It would appear, obviously, I'm going to get my head bitten off for that comment, but generally those are the sort of types that end up in a stewarding role and yet I just don't understand how in 2022 we don't have a qualified set of centralized stewards in London with all and we've been through this so many times with all the angles all the rules in front of them a rotor of staff who steward horse racing professionally day in day out not this like retired old boys club we've currently got where you just don't know quite what you're going to get it's just ridiculous. It's literally ridiculous. And we're like, we're in a professional sport. I just don't understand how it's literally police like the Pony Club. It's like whoever on the day makes a decision and we've just all got to roll with it and take it. And this is surely a bit of a watershed moment with this because it just feels like these incidents are happening more and more often now where you just don't understand how that's happened. And this yeah. is a prime example of that. I mean, the most like severe example of that. And I just, yeah, I just, and Kev, I mean, I, I say that centralised stewarding isn't happening because of finances, but Kev, you're always telling me that that's not the case. It's not finances. It's, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I think there, there, like there's, there's a question that if it was a smaller number of centralised stewards that it would raise possibilities of, you know, uh, them being able to exercise, um, exercise kind of undue impact on individuals like if i was one of the centralized stewards and i had a grudge against hugh cahill i could be constantly coming down hard on hugh cahill i don't i don't buy into that myself i think that's ridiculous if you're if you're a professional and you're exactly. doing the job properly you'll be doing it in an unbiased way but yeah um like it, it, it does seem that's the frustrating thing about all of this about the stewarding about every aspect of it like i think the solutions are like relatively simple um, like they're, they're, I think most people would agree that what the solutions should be, um, but there just doesn't seem for some reason. And I, I just fail to understand why the BHA and the IHRB just don't tackle this because, like, both organisations would say have gone after um, the whip and are going after the whip like quite aggressively, and that's a, that's a very contentious thing, very emotive thing. Um, that you know, and they've gone after numerous other things in terms of regulation quite heavily that are quite contentious, but they just don't seem to go after this yet. Like the whip is never going to hurt anyone, man or beast, literally. Whereas interference, you know, we've seen like it, it can, it, jockeys can be killed. They can be mangled. Horses can be killed, can be mangled. Like, and, and the risk of it is there every day. Like, I, I just don't understand why they don't seem to consider this a priority 
when the fix is relatively simple and it's not going to cost them a penny in terms of the, the punishments they dish out for interference. You know, centralised stewarding is something that would take more work um, to implement. But, you know, like this, it, it just, it, it deeply frustrates me. And I'm so, I, to be honest, I'm so jaded from talking about it because it's just been yeah. 10 years of talking about this, the same stuff. It comes up every summer, flat season, same thing. You know, people uh, like Vanessa there says, this is surely a watershed moment. How many times have we said that <laughs> on this yeah. issue? It's just, and you say, right, we've had Freddie Tilicki paralyzed from, a, a, from an incident that the stewards on the day said, there was no case to answer, no writing offence. Freddie had to go to a court of law to get some justice and for, for a judge to say, yes, that was reckless. That was dangerous. You know, we've had that happen. You know, yeah. that hasn't brought about any change. Do we need a jockey to get killed? I, I wonder, do we even, do we need a high profile horse to get killed? What a free wind, clipped the heel there, came down, broke your neck and got killed. Would, would that have caused enough of an uproar to get some action on this? You know, I, I, I just wonder what will it take? Because uh, it's just so much has happened, and yet it hasn't been enough. So and, I just, yeah, sorry, I, I go on about this, but it does going, really frustrate me. Going back to your point that you made with your question to me about um, the boxing reference and how if someone gets a decision wrong, then they're taken off, whatever, and you know, given three months where they're not judging anymore, or whatever, however it works. But you know, if you had centralized stewards, right, and there was a whole team of stewarding, just like in any other profession. If you continually or you made a mistake or, you know, you'd have to be held accountable because you're a full time person doing a full time role in that profession. Then, you know, in that situation, let's say Jack, Joe Bloggs, let's say, um, got a call wrong and then maybe got a secondary call wrong. Then somebody within the BHA would, you know, take him to one side, give him more training, help him get these decisions right. As in, you know, because that would be how centralized stewarding and a team of professionals on a rotor under you know in a salaried role would work day in day out they'd they'd be trained and taught and and made sure that those mistakes don't happen again um just on the questions listener questions on this i might as well deal with the now so vaughn lewis says uh, crowley and sumion appeared to be both tiny fractions away from causing horrific accidents is it time that stewards took interference a lot more seriously matthew james says could you try getting that sean parker on the show if possible to explain all these things going on and how the stewards see them uh, Tony Cummins, Lancashire Oaks, how do the stewards attempt to justify their ban decisions? Havlin hard done by. Shane McAvoy says, how could the stewards punish Havlin for the incident on Saturday? Surely Crowley's fault. Havlin sees the gap and went for it after Crowley drifted out from the rail. That could have been a proper nasty incident. The Philly was unbelievably lucky to stand up. Dave Bradshaw says, others touched on this indirectly, but how much of a problem is the lack of consistency of knowing what a foul looks like? Crowley and Havlin and Paul Smith another shambolic weekend for the sport which needs changing more urgently in this country the rules of interference or the quality of the stewards we have interpreting these rules so all of a pretty similar vein there I think uh, it's fair to say what's what's Um, worrying is presumably more than one person agreed that agreed that Havlin was to blame which yeah staggering yeah, exactly. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I you might get agree. the odd rogue person, you know, misinterpreting it, but you, presumably you've got two or three people in that stewards room all agreeing with each other that Havlin was to blame. I mean, it just yeah. belief. Yeah, no, amazing. Um, I didn't see the Rassel's race. Um, anyone impressed particularly by that? Um, I think moving for the uh, the Lundtop 14 from 21, 21 and 8 to 1 for 12 to 1 for the King George. Uh, I didn't see it, so I can't comment. But, it was a very messy race. As yeah. 
as uh, Sandown sprinters tend to be, Equilator was a bit unlucky. Yeah, there's a few few hard luck stories in there, but Rassel's obviously highly progressive. But no, yeah, um, you, you run that on another day, you get three or four different winners, maybe. Yeah, and Albanese well, yesterday. He didn't, I, for me, he didn't lose much in defeat. I thought he's probably a sprinter still on with the promise tag for me. It was like, like Tony said, very messy race. And obviously he was giving weight to the eventual winner being a three-year-old, but um, he had to be quite scrappy. And yeah, I just didn't think he, he, he didn't lose much in defeat going down the neck to sort of harden the older sprinter who's on the improve. Uh, so, so probably want to keep on side. But yeah, just in terms of the, to go back briefly, just in terms of Vadeni or Vadini, however you want to pronounce them, uh, in terms of the Judman picture overall now, where are we at with the Judman? We presume, so Baid is going to go to the Judman, we presume, right? Vadini, I think he said after the race, they're going to bypass that and they're go to bypass uh, it. champion. Right, Vidini. okay. The champion stays. And actually, so we could see him in Ireland then, Kevin. Yeah, that, but uh, that's the, I think the Irish champion is, is the plan for Vadini. Excellent. Excellent. And then, sure, look, the arc picture is hot enough. I know, look, it's still a long way away and we've plenty of races to come with you now, but my God, I mean, potentially the arc could be an absolute cracker this year. Uh, and I'm seriously considering booking my flight to Paris to go and see it. Um, right. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Alpanista before we get on to the rest of the questions yesterday. Uh, 14 yes. to 1 for the aforementioned arc. Okay, Vanessa, pick it up. Alpanista, very impressive. Oh, no, I, I was delighted for her, for some arc in the team. Um, I just... You know, to bring her back at this age and to be so patient with her. They've been so patient with her because the thing is, is the yard's been under the weather, but sort of like they've not been able to really pinpoint exactly what's going on. And so they've had very few runners, as we've covered before. And what they have been running has been a bit hit and miss all in all. Um, a couple of misses on Saturday and then to take her over there and throw her into a group one, given what's been, you know, given that the yard has been under the weather and she didn't have a specific, as far as I'm aware, she didn't have a specific injury. She's just not come to hand. And to explain that to people who don't work with horses anymore at all or haven't worked with horses, it's, it's purely just feel and experience. And obviously that's exactly what Sir Mark has. And so just to have that, you know, experience to not rush them and to be so patient, to go into her stable every evening doing evening stables and she's still not right, she's still not right. And just knowing that by looking at her, I mean, that is like a, you know, one in a million skill set that someone like Sir Mark has. And I was at that yard probably four weeks ago, five weeks ago. And, you know, she's in box one. So when you do evening stables with Sir Mark, you go into box one, you see Alpinista. And yeah, like she's a bit fluffy in her coat for that time of year. I I can see that knowing horses and being around horses. I could tell that. But other than that, when he's saying she's not right yet, I'm thinking, I I can't see what you're seeing. But that's why he's a magic man and I'm not. (laughs) Um, And so to be so patient with her and then to take the chance and take her over for a race like that. I just thought it was a great training performance. It just like every, you know, every so often, so Mark has one like her that just showcases that he's not just one that can rack up a million handicap wins on the bounce. You know, he can do it with a group one horse, as we know from over the years, of course he can. But this is just the most recent example. And in the race itself, if you watch it from the off, you know, there's a couple of times that Lou Morris is debating which way to go with her and takes a little pull and then asks her to go on. And as soon as he asks, the, accel- like, the answer was, 
was there straight away. And then he almost like jumped into a gap too soon at one point. So you knew she had loads in the running. And then in when she got into the home straight, off she went. And yeah, just just the class performance. It's my favourite performance of the weekend. And that includes free wind and the eclipse and everything. Brilliant. Okay, super. That's uh, a very nice tribute as well. And well done to all involved. 14 to 1, as I mentioned, from 33s for the arc which, as I mentioned, could be an absolute cracker this year. Right, some more of your listener questions then, uh, folks. So Shane says, how important is it? This is an interesting one, I think, just in the context, I guess, of, of everything. Uh, for the head of the BHA to have a background in racing, Julie Harrington, to me, comes across rather imp- unimpressive and lacks knowledge, more of a politician type to me. Quick look, and our CV has no real racing background. Is that harsh? So Shane, I don't know. I mean, look, with situation as well. You know, it does seem to me that uh, within racing as well, we've spoken to this before, Kevin, that racing sometimes are... Are, are quite quick to, to 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 look outside of racing world for fear of, of getting that insular inward looking kind of uh, tag. You look at the IHRB now as well, whose new head has a a background in pharmaceutical and you know, I guess pharmacy first and foremost, which would appear to be a move to address the recent kind of question marks around doping. But um, how important is it that they have some sense of kind of racing and what racing is about? Um, I think I think it's very important personally. And uh, in fairness to Julie Harrington, like she does have a background in racing, and so in working in racing, you know, she was the she was um the manager managing director at Utoxeter, I think, for for some time, um back in the past before she went into the cycling world. Um, but, but look, I think it's really important because look, we've seen a lot of examples in the sport where people have been uh, brought in from outside industries with very impressive CVs and credentials, et cetera, and they just drown in racing because it's just, it's, it's so political, yeah. it's so it's so multi-headed, it's so nuanced, like it's extremely challenging to, to come into it red raw and um, and try to make it make an impact. I think a lot of these people probably would tell you that they'd only started to kind of work out how it all works by the time they finished up, you know? Um, and look, we, we, we know the rationale for bringing in outside people you know, in terms of bringing in new approaches, uh, fresh looks, etc. But like racing is is extremely specialized, and um, like I personally, I'd always be in favor of going from someone for someone with a professional background in racing that maybe doesn't have quite the same spectacular CV as some of the some of the, some other candidates from other industries. But uh, I think having a, a working knowledge of the nuances, you know, is a big is a big big help. I think. Yeah. Okay. Nick Russ had his had his critics, but you know he, he at least brought some dynamism and some passion to it. Uh, yeah, having having watched Sean Boyce's hour long interview with Julie Harrington recently, I think mean, I, I came away from that looking pretty depressed, uh, feeling pretty pretty depressed about how the sport's being led. But right, okay. But like, like, like Kev said, it's a, it's a job that nobody really really would want, would they? It's like yeah. Yeah. Every single day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. Sean Rogers says, I was surprised by this stat that 52% of revenue, 59% of all bets, comes from just 1% of the market, roughly 60,000 people. Extremely precarious, even though none of the key parties seem willing to solve the big issues racing is facing. And what would a first realistic step to take be? I don't know, Sean. Yeah. Um, that came from um, some BHA conference last week. I, I don't know who, what the guy was uh, who actually said it. I forgot his name, actually. Right. He was, a, okay. he was a professor of some sort, I believe. He looked a bit like Grandpa Joe from uh, <laughs> from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Oh, well, I was looking at him and thinking, what does he look like? And yeah, <laughs> it to me. Um, no, it was, it was a stag number, wasn't it? 
it's always linked in. It's, I suppose it's linked into the affordability debate, isn't it, that's been going on? I mean, I actually kind of like got my head chopped off by saying I don't have any issue with actually giving my details out. In fact, I've had two experiences uh, with bookmakers in the last couple of months. One was one was pretty horrendous, actually trying to get my account suspended, and I took me nine days to actually get in touch with. Them. I had to. I had to one one of the bookmakers. I had to threaten legal action because. My account was suspended, and I just didn't have any. I weren't answering emails. I just, yeah, I couldn't answer anything. But I, I don't, I don't have any problems with myself. I know it's a contentious issue, and I'm sure bookmakers don't want to be going down the route that they, you know, been asked to go down by the gambling commission. So there's two sides to everything. But I, I, I don't have. I don't personally have nothing to hide. So I actually was volunteered any information that they wanted, but. A lot of people are very protective of, a, of their privacy, but yeah, um, you know, it's, big brother and all that. Big brother's yeah, watching. I mean, like I say, I, I look. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people just you know don't want to get involved with all that. That's fair yeah. enough. But no, absolutely, no, that's yeah. fair. Two sides. But Dave Brown says, anyone else a bit underwhelmed by the eclipse? Oh no, Dave, I thought it was a cracker. Uh, don't bother myself with what the sectionals are like, but they all finished very close together. Maybe I was hoping someone would stamp out and stamp, stand out and stamp their ground as a one mile too far long superstar. I think the fact that they all finished so close together is great because it just Look, throws the next you, time. Maybe, you, yeah. you need to make your mind up. You're either disappointed in the horse that finished in the place's native trail. And yeah, so I as am. a result, you don't you don't like the race itself, or yeah. you like the yeah. race a lot and you rate the form. Just make your mind up, okay? No, I like the I like the winner, Vanessa, because I backed him. So I'm talking through my pockets and I, I did back Native Trail in the Guineas and he let me down. So as Tony said, he's bang on. That's why I will forever have a black cloud over his name and he can go and get lost, the average bang, average donkey horse that he is. Ash Simmons says, uh, something Kev touched upon on Friday's race, the only better. Why have we seen virtually no pacemakers in these big races from the likes of Aidan O'Brien? Difficult to work out. Many of these big yards responding to comments made by the racing public. Um, yeah, is this a deliberate change in approach from Aidan O'Brien, Kev, or is it just that, he, you know, particularly where the classics are involved this year, he doesn't have many standout horses, so has, has gone the narrow route. Um, well, I didn't have, obviously didn't have a runner at all on Saturday. Um, but the, like it depends. Like sometimes you need a pacemaker, sometimes you don't, and they, they haven't seemed to have needed one for quite some time. And they're you know if they have a horse that can get prominent, you know that's fine for them if there's if there's not much pace. Um, but you know I, I miss them. You know I think pacemakers uh you know made made make these races a lot fairer. You know you don't have to go back too long when Godolphin would have regularly run pacemakers. You know even Shadwell and Judmont would have had pacemakers in the past, um, yeah. and none of them seem to do it anymore. Which is which is you know it's surprising. You know I know pacemakers are illegal against the rules in some jurisdictions, but I think they certainly help us get the answer to the question that it's all about you and that is what is the best horse and yeah. if you have a, an even or better pace you have a much better chance of finding out than if you go steady just for okay, a quick minute, perhaps we, we haven't got the depth of horse but we're on the international stage now I mean if you're going to run a pacemaker it has to be up to a certain level to run there and there's so many options going around the globe and you know as, you know, state of rest is, you know a classic example you know you can go and pick up a, a valuable grade one uh, with with group two stroke group three horses uh, in America and around the globe. I'm not saying state of rest of group two group three before you kick off. Yes, <laughs> oh, you are. You might as well. No, I'm not. We've well got, got horses, you know, in in the past with, from you know, Ballydore and stuff going over the 
and winning, you know, the Belmont Oaks with the likes of Athena and stuff like that. And, you know, that horse would have probably, Philly would have struggled to win a Group 2 over here. So yeah, okay. I think there's plenty of international options for horses that would formerly be pacemakers. Like, Warren like says, state isn't... Of rest, then. Like State of Rest, Tony, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't put words in my mouth. He's, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to reach into his microphone and give me a right-hander. I can see him. <laughs> see him state of Rest. State of rest, Brent, stealing uh, a living, uh, stealing uh, a living uh, all over the world. <laughs> uh, State of rest has never even won a group two or, or a group three or even a listed race. He's only won group ones, lads. <laughs> Snob, <laughs> snobbery, snobbery at its highest <laughs> order. Warren says, isn't it about time we publish weights of the horses racing today? Is there a specific reason we don't do it already? I don't know. Yeah, I'd be all yeah. for that. But uh, yeah. uh, the trainers rear up every time you suggest doing it, even though most of them weigh their horses and away themselves. Um, but no, Joe, public can't possibly handle this information. No. Just just like we couldn't handle uh, breeding operation information, etc. Um, yeah. it'd be. I, I think it'd be a really positive addition. Um, people always read it too simplistically. They say, oh, if they're heavy, they must be unfit. And if they're, if they're light, they must be fit. It's more nuanced than that. But if you gave people the information and recall of it and they did quickly work it out and see what it's useful for and what it's not useful for and while we're at it you and we can measure them as well that'd be yeah that'd be a, a real welcome addition size and weight my mind size and weight heavyweights against the lightweights love it um adam says his on-course book making dying out went to royal ascot on the tuesday and every bookmaker was uh one fifth of the four, four places for a 19 runner handicap seven places available online with multiple firms six places what's the incentive to bet on course with heavy Heavily unfavorable terms, Tony. Look, it's look, if you read some some of the betting blogs that are out there now, um, you know they seem to be a resurgence. Obviously, people can people can take advantage of the prices. What you'll find as well is because they haven't got the each way terms. If you shop around, you might you might comfortably beat you know the the, the SP etc. So yeah, I mean if you read some blogs, it's you know the, from about a couple of years ago, it seems to be a lot more vibrant and obviously. If they accept cash and cash is king with a lot of people on a day out, so yeah, it's obviously they've got overheads, haven't they? They got a, you know they pay again, mm. they have to pay their staff, so you know it's not economically viable for them to be playing six or seven places. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's the short and sweet of it. Owen Ryan says, uh, should UK and Irish race courses be significantly cheaper to enter than they are today to try and address attendance issues? Presumably, gate money isn't the be all. And end all these days anyway. They should be cheaper. We've spoken about this, and uh, it's an issue. It's a problem. It's a problem, particularly for the obviously the big story. You know, attendances are down across all sports and stuff like that. I mean, I think what's been underplayed. I mean, Sandown were four thousand down on the pre-COVID levels on on Saturday. Um, it was noticeable watching on TV how how empty it did look, and obviously those numbers back up. I think it's been massively underplayed here, but. You've got yeah. two million people per week with COVID, and you know and that takes out a mass, a big old population. Especially people might be wary of going to a you know a packed indoor sporting event. I know racing is primarily outside, but obviously the bars are heaving. So I think COVID's a factor as well as Michael Owen says. Given slowly run races seem to be the norm now, do you think the broadcasters featuring sectionals on the screen has played a part in this? Jockeys afraid of looking foolish around uh, on red sectionals, or maybe even made them more aware of sectional timing. I don't that think it can. Me. I don't think it can be seen as a negative. I think the like sectional timing thing is just across the board a big positive, and I'm sure the jockeys that are bright enough must use it to their advantage. But I don't think that they would be thinking, "I better not go a stride faster here in case it flashes red on Sky Sports Racing." Yeah, 
yeah, I don't think that'll be coming to the thinking all right. Um, Tim Dredge says, what's the best small race course in the UK? Sedgefield? Vanessa, Hexham. 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 What did you say, Tony? Plumpton. Plumpton. Right, I'll go for Cheltenham myself. Faking them, uh, faking them, faking them. <laughs> uh, says, what percentage of horses born do not ever run in a race? And similarly, unraced mare, how early in their life is the decision made uh, to be an unraced mare, Kevin? How early would that happen? Um... Well, it, it depends on the circumstances, really. Some some mares would never, wouldn't even be broken. You know, they might yeah. just go straight straight into the broodmare job. I actually have stats on the um, on the foals to runners. I, I sought this out a couple of years ago. Yes. Just bear with me, and I'll find them. Okay. Actually, have a guess. Have a guess because I think this the result of this certainly surprised me. Well, foals to runners, you and all the listeners. As a percentage, yeah. So uh, a, a percentage, yeah. guess. Yeah. So, what percentage of falls that hit the ground make it to a race course? Uh, and and uh, and are designated as for for the flat because when you when you register a yeah. foal, you you take a box for flat national hunter dual yeah. purpose. So I, I took only flat foals. Okay. So what percentage of them ran? Fifteen percent. One five. Fifteen. One five. Give of over all Hubert. Foals ran. <laughs> Hubert, you've been drinking this this podcast for God's sakes. No, drinking coffee. Uh, Kevin, just ignore no Irish him. coffee. Um, I would say sixty-five percent of foals that flat foals that are registered to run on the flat, sixty-five percent make it and run on a race course at least okay. once. It's a good guess. It's a good guess, TC. We're never clue fifty. Okay, I'll change my guess from fifteen to sixteen. Sixteen <laughs> percent. It's a it's for the for the two for the for the two years that I have it. It's about seventy five percent. So three out of huh? every four. Oh, I was uh, close. Fl- close. Thoroughbred foals born in the UK and Ireland designated for flat racing will make it to the track at least once. Very good. So, That's very actually good. a high. That yeah, it's higher than I would have predicted. I was I was expecting okay. lower as well, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. Last uh, three questions. Lawrence Dixon says, "Why can't we actually?" Notify actual weighed out weights before the race, so everyone knows what's being carried or at least published afterwards. Uh, but look, it uh, no, you no, no, no. It makes much more sense to hide the truth from the public yeah, because they can't yeah. handle the truth. You, yeah, they can't yeah. handle the truth. The truth a, few, a few more under the table allowances because I love them. I love yeah. not knowing what's going on. You so more <laughs> of that. I don't think we should publish any racing weights at all. I think it doesn't make any sense. You know? yeah. It's way more fun just to guess, Kev. Just yeah, way exactly. More. Come on, lads. Live a bit dangerously. Come on. Yeah. Just guess. Yeah, and if you're all as accurate as me joke. about guessing about things and racing, then we'll be fine. Nobody needs to know anything. Um, Sal EFC says, do you think summer jumps needs to go briefly? Uh, probably not. No, I mean, just there has to be a market for horses that aren't as competitive in national hunt uh, in the winter. Um, maybe more of a break for jockeys and the season having a defined end and maybe a starting point. But uh, I think summer jumps have, have their place. That's just perfectly yeah, my maybe, opinion. Maybe and, less of it. Possibly. Less, less of it, yeah. yeah. Less of it, yeah. And Dan Belmore says, last one, uh, just watch the behind-the-scenes video uh, by the jockey club on um, Luke Dace, who had the winner, Youthful King, yeah. at Sandown. Great to see. Should there be more bonus prizes, increased prize money for trainers, owners with small numbers of horses, less than 10 to incentivize new people to get into racing? Um, tricky one, that, because you'll get people trying to game the system. But um, I, I, w- I would recommend you go and watch that video if you can. I saw it on the Sandown social media. It's very, very good. 10 minutes long, but well worth your time. Okay, brilliant. Some, I think there are some race conditions that do stipulate that. I'm sure I've seen. They, they have, they have them, they have them for jockeys. I know, you know, having won X number of races in the last year, etc. Mm. Um, do they have them for trainers? I don't know. I think I've okay. seen it a couple of times, but I could be wrong. 
Excellent. That's uh, thank you to everyone who's sending the questions. By the way, as always, and uh, hopefully the answers were satisfactory. Uh, Super Saturday this weekend, so racing only better on Thursday. We'll cover 11 races. Very much looking forward to that to mark your card for next weekend. Uh, Kev is just car park Kev gearing up for the lunchtime rush there, Kev. So we'll let you go. We're out of time anyway. My thanks to Kevin, to Tony and to Vanessa. We're back, as I said, Thursday, racing only better. Talk to you then. <laughs>